Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel in Hookson. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. If you're being encouraged or challenged by this teaching, would you consider giving us a five-star review? That review and rating moves us up the list so others might find us more easily so they too can benefit from this podcast. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. And Abba, if, if you're not familiar with this, maybe if you've missed the last few um, services and, and you missed the first four sermons in this series, is, is another word that uh, Jewish children, the first century, uh, it was a term of endearment. It was kind of like saying daddy. It was an informal way of addressing their father. It was, uh, it was emotional. It wasn't really based on a lot of intellect. It was this, this uh, visceral connection that a little child has with its father. You know, I was given the example of when my children were young and there's a big thunderstorm or something happens. They run into our bedroom and dive into our beds, right? doesn't matter where their knees and elbows hit. They just want mommy or daddy because there's this understanding and this is natural affection, right? And in the end times, we will see mothers and fathers without natural affection, but where there's this natural affection, right? everyone knows naturally, instinctively, that a parent's job is to protect their children. Can I get an amen? Right? I taught Nate three words. Most of you guys have heard these by now. My son, Nate, he's 14 Next Sunday night. <gasps> Feeling it here, man. He's, uh, he's, he's coming within 50 pounds of his dad. Another 20 pounds, I think he might be able to take me. But I've been teaching him this since he was old enough to hear the words and understand them. You are a provider and a protector for your family, boy. This is what you will do as a man. You will find gainful employment so that you can provide for your family and you will protect them. That is your job, son. That is what it means to be a man. And then when he was old enough, he's not here so I can pick on him. He's at that camp. We have people that are going up to get their kids today from deep freeze. I added when he was old enough, when I needed to tell him the facts of life, you know the facts of life. Can I embarrass anybody here today? I added a third word. Respect. Respect yourself and respect these young ladies that you're going to meet. And so there's this instinctive thing <laughs> that, that, that a father has for his children. And that instinct is to protect. So now, when we look at Abba Father, that is the relationship that was created between those who have placed their faith in Jesus and God, the creator of the universe and everything in it. Prior to your faith in Jesus, God was your creator. 
But he was not your Abba. He was not your Father. He was your Creator. Jesus looked at the religious people of his day and he said, you are of your father, the devil, who was a liar from the beginning and a murderer. And you are, you are just like your father, the devil. He was talking to religious people. That doesn't give us a lot of hope today, does it? If we're trusting in religion, rules and regulations and standards, if we're trusting in all of those things, folks, man, we are, we are of our father, the devil. But if we have come to a place where we recognize that before a holy God, I am undone and there is sin in my life and I need to be forgiven of this sin and I need to be cleansed and it's something that I can't do for myself. And you came to a place where you recognize that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. You find that in 1 John and you recognize Jesus was that Son and you cried out to Jesus to be your personal Savior. Dude, you were adopted into the family of God and God is your Abba Father. Man, you can call him Daddy. Father now, Father on the other side of that Abba Father. Father is that intellectual understanding that we have. I understand that God is my Father. I understand the roles that God has in my life. They, these two should be married together. There should be that instinctive, visceral understanding that when trouble comes in your life, man, you run to your Abba. And there should also be this understanding, this, this intellectual understanding that I have been adopted into the family of God. And you should understand what the gospel of Jesus Christ has done for you and the benefits that have been poured out in your life. Now again, I said if you've missed a few, if you've missed a few weeks, um, you, can, you can catch up. We'll see... Um, if I can find that next slide. You can catch up because we are now podcasting. I know you think, are we going to do this announcement every single service? Yeah, probably. Probably. We have two people from Russia who have been downloading our podcast. We have um, one or two from the Netherlands. We have a couple from Iran. It's been kind of exciting to watch and see um, what all has been happening with, with our podcast. It's also interesting to see which ones are being listened to most. People are really interested in Satan, it turns out. If you put Satan in the title, everybody's like, yeah, let's download Satan. Um, some of you don't need to download him. <laughs> He's already, I'm already there. Take a look around. Well, that's the wrong song. Um, anyways. Follow our podcast. The latest one that I put up was, uh, was the beginning of our season of Advent, which is a really important series of messages, and it's called Expect Jesus In. And uh, you need to live life expecting to see Jesus in your life and understanding that He is present. He is always with you, good times, bad times, when you fall, when you fail. He is there with a hand to help you up and to gather you to Himself. Man, you need to, you need to catch that, that series. Let's take a look at the scriptures that we're going to be reading from this morning. Genesis chapter 50, if you have your Bibles, you should turn there. I have no idea if I did the Bible app this week or not, but um, Genesis chapter 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, and I'm going to give you the backstory in a second for those of you that are unfamiliar with the Old Testament, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. Joseph and his brothers 
Their father died, and their reaction to this is, oh, crap, right? I know you're like, oh, you're a pastor. You're not supposed to say that. It's not in the Bible. I can say it. Their, their reaction was, oh, dung. It's in your King James Version. Oh, dung. <laughs> what if shall we ever doeth? Perhaps he will repay us for the evil which we have done to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph. And these manipulative sons of guns, they're, they're, they're remarkable guys. They're, they said, before your father died. Now, I don't even know if this is true. But they sent him a message. Hey, before your dad died, he commanded saying, um, thus you shall say to Joseph. Now, I don't know if I would believe this. Would you believe it? <clears throat> I mean, I'm thinking these guys threw me into a pit, discussed murdering me, and it was only because the oldest argued with another one of the brothers and said, maybe we shouldn't kill him. Maybe that's going a little too far. Let's sell him off into slavery instead. Yeah, let's do that. So they sell him off into slavery. They take his jacket that his father had made for him that just was sort of denoted him as the favored son, this coat of many colors. You've heard of the Broadway musical, Joseph in the Technicolor coat, right? And they took his coat and they tore it up and they dipped it in blood and they came back to the father after they sold him into slavery expecting to never see him again. I mean, they were brutal to him. And they said, Dad, a lion got your, your, your favorite son, man. We're so sorry. I will admit, Randy, <laughs> you knew that was coming, didn't you? That's worse than tying him to a tree under a hornet's nest. It's, wor it's worse, arguably worse than throwing sticks at the hornet's nest when your brother's tied to the tree. Did you say you don't remember that? I remember it. <laughs> Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass your brothers of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. I'm wondering, did they get the syntax right? Did they write it exactly how their father spoke? I mean, did they sit down and say, okay, how would dad say this? I don't know if it's genuine. I have no idea. Now, please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. We're going to introduce God into this now. We're going to make sure that this is really spiritual and really good so Joseph doesn't repay us for brutalizing him, selling him into slavery. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? Now understand where, where this is coming from. Some of you that are still unfamiliar with the story. The backstory is, right, their big family. It's the beginning of the nation of Israel. This dude, Joseph, he dreams dreams. And in his dreams, he sees the future. And he sees that his brothers are going to bow down for him, before him. Now, Joseph, not the smartest guy, 
I mean, he's very smart, but in this particular case, I kind of have to argue with the wisdom of him telling his brothers that he had to have known were jealous. Hey, I had a dream that you and mom and, uh, and dad were bowing down before me. Yeah, that's going to go well. Didn't go well. So they, they, they took an opportunity because they were so jealous, they were so envious, and they threw him into a pit, discussed murdering him, instead sold him into slavery. He goes into slavery, and he ends up in this guy's house, and he rises above the level of all of the other slaves in the house, and Joseph is doing amazingly well because the Bible says, man, God had favor on Joseph even in his slavery, Right? Even in this horrific situation, he rises up to this level where he is almost equal to his master. His master, basically, it says, he gave everything into the hand of Joseph because he trusted Joseph so much. Joseph had such incredible integrity. Now, I want you to think about it. You've been brutalized, sold into slavery, and yet he maintained his integrity. He was a lot like Job. He did not curse God and die he maintained his, his integrity. He trusted in the Lord. He believed in God to the point where he would not sin against his master or his God. The man's wife, the only thing the man kept out of Joseph's hand was his wife. Who can blame him? Right? I mean, I'm not going to blame him for that. Here's everything in my house. You control everything. Make sure I don't go bankrupt and you know, he wasn't like the NFL agents, right, that misused all of their money. I mean, he took care of this guy's money. I imagine that his wealth grew, his notoriety grew, and the only thing he said was, keep your hands off my wife. Well, his wife lusted after Joseph. He's probably a, a, you know, a young, good-looking guy, prime of life. Her husband was probably older than her, probably walked with a stoop, probably drooled at dinner. Who knows? I don't know. It's conjecture. But she began to lust after Joseph. And uh, this kind of turns things on their head because we typically think it's the men that are always at fault. Man, it goes both ways. So she lusts after Joseph and she starts hitting on him and hitting on him. And the Bible teaches us that he maintained his integrity. Shall I sin against my master who has given everything into my hand except for you? I'm not going to do this. I won't do it. And so she hits on him again. No, I'm not going to sin against my God. I'm not going to do this. Now, Joseph could have been bitter. He could have been like, I deserve this. I deserve this. Don't I deserve a break? This is my big excuse. I've been handed a raw deal. I didn't do anything wrong. Thrown into a pit. Threatened murder. I'm now a slave. I went from being a favorite son to a slave. Can you imagine? And so he says no to her again. This time she grabs his shirt or his robe and he runs off and she's tugging on him. I mean, this was a persistent woman, wouldn't you say? I mean, she's not letting him go. I want you now. And he rips out of her hands and his garment stays in her hands. Now, um, what do they talk about? Scorned lovers? I mean, she'd been scorned. This woman is ticked. And now she has evidence in her hand that this man tried to rape me. 
That's what the accusation was. That Hebrew slave you brought into our house came and tried to rape me. Well, she's got his robe. Maybe she put bruises on herself. I don't know. She was convincing enough that this man who put everything into the hand of Joseph trusted him with everything in his house, and Joseph had maintained his integrity and been this upstanding person and just wonderful. All of that was flushed down the toilet. Boy, as a pastor, I know how that feels. I've been a blessing to people, and all that I've done for them been flushed down the toilet. She, he flushes it, takes Joseph, tosses him into jail. Now, how many of you guys would go, all right, I've had enough of this. Where the heck is God now? God, how could you let this happen to me? I maintain my integrity. I didn't do this. I'm innocent. How could you let this happen? No, not Joseph. Joseph is one of the very few individuals in the Bible where God does not show us very many, if any, of his imperfections. Um, we would call, in theological circles, we would call Joseph a type of Christ in the Old Testament. Job could be considered a type of Christ. She's in jail now. Things are not going well for Joseph. Well, God has his hand on Joseph again in this situation. And the jailer's like, dude, every time I treat Joseph nicely, I get treated nicely. Every time I take care of Joseph, I get taken care of. He begins to notice there's something about Joseph, and Joseph rises in the jail and, and becomes like a favorite prisoner. And now he's in jail with a baker and a cupbearer. The king had gotten ticked off at these two guys and sent him to jail. So he, they're in jail with Joseph, and Joseph's like, what'd you do to get in here? And they're like, oh, well, I did this, and I did this. And what'd you do? Nothing. That's a raw deal. You know, when we had Kirsten years ago, my, my eldest daughter, she'll turn, oh, gosh, I can't say that anymore. She just turned 28 Friday, right? She just turned 20. I'm like, Kirsten, you're almost 30, you old lady. And when she was born, and she almost died, and she's in the hospital, and we're going through, we didn't know if she was going to live or die, and all that horrible thing when I was 21 years old, the guys I used to work with, they, were, they would say, like, boy, of all of the people that I've ever met, I can't believe God would let this happen to you. Like, you're the most moral best person I know. Like, I could give you a million dollars, and I know you wouldn't run off with it or even spend a dollar of it. Why would God... Let this happen to you. Wasn't helpful. Wasn't because I struggled with that. Wouldn't you? My daughter has cerebral palsy and psychosis, has never walked, has had multiple surgeries. It's been a great life for 28 years. And um, we just took her out for her birthday yesterday, and we noticed that her psychosis and the medications they've given her have, have altered her ability. She can't hardly feed herself anymore, which was devastating to us yesterday. It was a long day. And um, so here's Joseph in prison. What'd you do? Nothing. 
And then they had dreams. Now Joseph, I told you earlier, he, he prophesies in dreams. He has this ability that God has given him to interpret dreams. And the baker and the cupbearer, they tell him what their dreams are, and he says, well, I'll interpret your dreams if when you get to Pharaoh, you remember me and get me out of this place, man. If you're thinking Joseph's prison was like queen-size bed, you know, bowls of incense, you know, women feeding him grapes, he wanted out of this prison, and he's like, don't forget me. Well, what happened? They got out, one was killed, and the other one forgot him. So there he is, rotting away in prison for years and years. Who knows how many years went by until Pharaoh has a dream, and Pharaoh is freaking out. Freaking out. It's a pretty intense dream. Anyone ever have a nightmare? One of his nightmares was there was this big old fat cow chewing and having a great old time. Like this cow is living his best life, right? That was this cow. Kind of like Edgar, Edgar's Instagram. My dog Edgar, edgar.the.swaggy.pup. Living his swaggy life. And um, here's this cow chilling out. And then a, a skinny cow, an emaciated cow, comes up and eats the fat cow. And he's like, what the heck does that mean? So he calls in all of his magicians and all the soothsayers and none of them can answer. And then finally, the, the guy that had made it out of prison and, and wasn't killed said, Oh, dung. I know a guy that can help us out here. He's like, where is he? He's in prison. Bring him up. So this is Joseph's big chance. He interprets the dream. There's going to be years of plenty, almost like never seen before, and then there's going to be years of famine like the, the land has never seen. Tells him the dream and, and makes suggestions on, on, um, on how to handle this. Pharaoh elevates him to second-level status. So now Joseph, now you're one now, I'm trying to give you guys the backstory. Why do you think his brothers who sold him into slavery might be a little concerned that he's going to repay them? Now, in Pharaoh's mind, Pharaoh does sit in the place of God. Right? Think about Egyptian um, theology, if you will. Pharaoh essentially was a god. And Joseph was second to Pharaoh. And Joseph understood this, though. He was not God. No matter how high he rose in life, no matter how much of his integrity he maintained, he would not stand in the place of God. His brothers had a lot of reason to fear. And he said to them, Guys, don't be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me. Does he acknowledge reality or does he sweep it under the carpet? Is he acknowledging reality or is he hiding from it? What's he doing, guys? acknowledges it. You, you meant evil against me. 
but God. God is present. This was the importance of our Advent series, Expect Jesus. It's the importance of Abba Father. God, as a daddy who loves us, is present. He was present in the delivery room with Kirsten. He was right there. In fact, he manifested himself in the person of my father-in-law, Ken, that day. And Ken's a very unlikely God manifestation. Like He's, he's a short little dude. And I know you're watching online. <laughs> I already got in trouble once for this. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. I collapsed to my knees in that moment as my daughter was essentially stillborn, not breathing, not moving, dolphin gray. I just fell to my knees and said, God, save my daughter, save my baby. And my father-in-law, who had mentored me here at Emmanuel for a number of years at that time, he came over and he, he grabbed me by the shoulders and he lifted me up, which is unusual because I tower over this dude. But he picked me up and he said, she is alive. She's alive. She's alive. She's alive. They want you to go touch her. They want you to touch her. God is present in our pain. Didn't change reality. She was still gray. She had to be resuscitated. They had to get her heart beating. They intubated her. And, but I go over on that little table by then. Her color is coming back. And they're like, touch her, touch her, touch. Very important to talk to her. Meanwhile, my poor wife is saying, what happened? What happened? What is it? We didn't know we were having a girl. What is it? What happened? And then I had to go over and tell her. And that began our journey of the last 28 years. But God meant it for good. And I'm going to be honest with you this morning. Dang that I wrote this message Friday before we took her out on Saturday. And I had to see her reaching for her chicken tender. And her hands started to tremble. She couldn't grasp it. And I had to sit there and go, you're preaching this Sunday. Pull it together. Pull it together. God is good and he is in this. Hallelujah in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. In Joseph's case, God gave him the knowledge of the good that he intended to bring about through the evil of being sold into slavery, of being lied that he was a rapist, I can't think of a worse lie. Rotting away in prison and having his friends forget him when they finally got out. Looked at all of this and was able to say, God meant it for good. And here is the good. Hundreds of thousands of people would be dead today 
if you had not sold me into slavery, it was worth it. And now therefore, do not be afraid. Boy, this man, not a revenge bone in his body is there. Not only does he forgive them, not only does he forgive them, but he provides for them. Are you flipping nuts? Makes no sense, does it? I will provide for you and your prodigy, your little ones. And then he comforts them. Guys, I'm not going to kill you. I won't tie you to a tree. I promise. God loves you. I love you. You're my brothers. The problem of evil. The problem of evil. Evil is a fact in our fallen world. It's a result of the fall of Adam in the Garden of Eden. It's something that cannot be avoided. It cannot be changed. It will not be changed until Jesus comes back and this world is ended. It is the result of man's fall and the curse of man. God has allowed evil because He has allowed us the will to choose between good and evil. When we choose evil, we must also be able to choose good. When we choose evil, we harm ourselves and potentially others. And I know this is a difficult problem. But for God to forbid our ability to choose and do evil, He would need to forbid our ability to choose and do good. I have someone very dear to me. They're not ready to stand before you necessarily, but... Something really terrible had happened to them in their life. And as I was preparing this message, I asked them that question. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. I said to this person, how does this help? How does this help you? How does this change the situation? But as for evil, God meant it for good. And, and she said to me, this, this just, it was probably one of the greatest blessings that I've ever had as a pastor. Because her and I had had some pretty deep conversations, 
centered around the hurt that she had suffered, the evil that was done to her. And she said um, that this evil that was done to her and this, 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 this blew my mind, drew her to God and ultimately showed her the love of God in a way that she would not have ever experienced without having experienced the evil that was done to her. And led her the goodness of God. She shared with me that it was his presence in her past that gave her the strength to rise above it to rise above the evil that was done to her, to rise above the bitterness in her heart, to rise above the tears, and to rise above the wickedness, and that God had used this wicked deed to bring about great character in her life. And this young woman humbled me. It was very similar to Elaine's testimony when she came and shared it with you, church. But God. And what had happened to this young lady was devastating. And until we had our times of counseling and sharing together, she would spend days in bed crying over what had happened to her. She would have moments where a scent would float across her presence and her post-traumatic stress syndrome would bring her right back into the moment. And then we began to talk about this very thing, but God took that evil and meant it for good. And today... She is not only whole, she is amazing. She has a simple acceptance that God is good and that God is for her and that God loves her dearly. She looks back at the moment where she was hurt and she says to me, He was there. God was there. He was with me. He protected me. It didn't change the past. But her memory of it has changed. And she now sees that God took her from herself and held her while this wickedness was forced upon her. It's not just my story that I share today because I think some of you dismiss what my wife and I have been through because you're so familiar with it. And you may say that what happened with us was negligence, not evil. And this is why I bring Elaine to you who was brutally abused by her father and by her uncle and by a man in college and just went through these horrible things and evil was done to her and why I bring this other young woman's testimony to you because they went through some things that I haven't gone through. And in those things, they saw the presence and the power and the love of God for them. 
in their painful past. But God. And honestly, I was sitting there and I was asking her that question. I just wanted to know, how did, how did this help you? How did this help you? She saw him. He was there. He was present with her. Some of you today, you need a but God moment. I was sharing this with a, another young woman here in the church today. Before you can see God in your painful past, you have to see God as your Abba. If you're still here, and over the last 10 years I've been trying to correct your perception of who God is, if you're still here and you think God is the angry, condemning judge, and you try to bring that perception of God into your painful past, you will not experience very much healing. You have to have the proper perception. He loves you. He loves you more than anyone else in your life can possibly love you. I've had people that I love that have gone astray and walked away from the Lord and and I was devastated and I was brokenhearted over these people. And then you know what God reminded me of? You know what he said to me? He said, I love them more than you do. Relax. I've got this. I can speak to them when you can't. I'm like, you got a point. He always has a point. He's so much smarter than me. But he loves you. And, 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 and one of the reasons why the very first series of podcasts that I put up besides Abba Father was Satan's Strategies was so that you all could go back and listen and defend yourself from the whisperer. Find that podcast. Because the whispers that Satan has been telling you your whole life is God is angry, God is condemning, God hates you, God's disappointed in you. God's not disappointed in you. That would imply that God expected something from you that he wasn't prepared to receive. God's omniscient. That means he knows everything. He knows it was going to take me 30 years to get to the place that I am today and to understand what I understand. And the years that I didn't understand it, he was not disappointed in me. He was kind of looking at me going, I know, you're slow. <laughs> but I called you the base things of the world, the foolish things of the world, to confound the wise, the weak things of the world, to confound those with strength. I picked you just for this reason. So people would look at you and say, how can he know this? How can he preach this? How can he teach this? He's the kid that was picked last. You have the whisperer. He whispers to me too. And for 10 years, I've been trying to teach you, Abba, Father. You say, Pastor, how can you say God is not condemning me? You don't know me. If you know Jesus, he is not condemning you. If you don't know Jesus, you are already condemned. 
But if you know Jesus, Romans chapter 8 says that we are no longer under condemnation, period. Let Him in to your painful past and allow Him to love you there. Oh, it's the beginning of freedom. Whoo! I'm standing there singing this song with, with, with Angel. We got to do Death Was Arrested to close the service. Where is he? Here you are. I know you're like, ah, so hot. Can we do that? Can we do Death Was Arrested? Because that dude, you need to know that God. The God that, that went to the cross. Yes, Jesus is God. He went to the cross for you. That is the ultimate expression of God's love. That's the ultimate expression. The Apostle Paul, so much like Joseph, so much like Joseph, he knew going into his mission that he was going to be abused and lied about. He was stoned. He was dragged out of town. He was given 40 stripes save one. And he went into it willingly because he knew what men meant for evil. God meant for good. And without Paul accepting that evil, without Paul going into that ministry, without Paul living out that vocation, we would not have a majority of the New Testament that we have today. And millions and millions of people would not know Jesus today. But God. Listen, there is a purpose in the pain, and it is worth it. It is worth it. Now, I've not been gifted by God like Joseph was to know that what my wife and I are going through is going to save hundreds of thousands of people. But I can tell you that I know that there are people who have been gloriously redeemed and saved from an eternity in hell because I was able to identify with them on a level of pain that they could understand. And through that identification, through that connection, they could hear the gospel of Jesus and embrace Jesus as their Savior. And if one person has come to Christ through my pain, to God be the glory. And don't forget this either, what he reminded me of when we started this series. Oh, Trish, <laughs> We, we don't have Kirsten every day anymore, so we are very rusty on our Kirstenese. She speaks, but not well. And we were at lunch yesterday. I don't know how many times we looked at each other and we're like, I have no idea. <laughs> Can you say it again, Kirsten? Nope. <laughs> Can you spell it? And you're just like, dude, I don't even know what, I, I, I forget how... I, I don't know how I figured out what she was saying. It wasn't the syllables. It was like an intellectual connection, like I'm reading your mind. It's like Bug's Life, you know? <laughs> reading your mind. And um, God reminded me while I was preaching three or four weeks ago that when we get to heaven, I'm going to say to her, say it again. Not because I can't understand her, but because I can. And then I'm going to be the nag. Say it again, Kirsten. Say it again, Kirsten. Say it again, Kirsten. And she's going to go, Dad, please, it's been a thousand years. I'm like, I know, but say it again. <laughs> Just say it again. Just say it again. But God, 
We're going to have all heads bowed and eyes closed as our worship team comes forward to lead us in this glorious hymn of victory. It's a hymn that I cannot help but smile as I sing because of the redemption that God has poured out upon me, lavished upon me. It still amazes me because I do not deserve it still boggles my mind that He is present in my pain. It amazes me when I sit down with a, with a young person who has been so hurt that that young person can look at me and say, and this completely devastated me in a good way. I don't wish that it didn't happen anymore. Just, it was amazing because it made me who I am today and how close I am to God today. Some of you here, some of you are hurting. Some of you are so broken, so wounded. And the devil has put his talons in you and he has told you you're not worth it because of what was done to you. Your damaged goods. Or because of pain in your life he's told you God has abandoned you. That God is not in your life. That God is not there and God is not for you. And he has lied to you and you've listened to the whisperer. But God meant it for good. God can take any evil that this world can throw at you. In a snap of his fingers, he can save a hundred million people through your pain. But God, he loves you. I know that when the enemy has come to me in the past and he's come to me in a brutal and persistent way and the whispers seem like roars one of the greatest defenses that I have discovered is to throw myself into the word of the living God and to just be washed in the water of the word and allow it to cleanse my mind and my heart from the enemy's lies Oh, if you're here this morning and you need a but God moment, would you allow him to love you? Years and years ago, we had a singing group here and the lead, leader of that group came to me one day and he'd known our story. We were quite young and early on in our trial. And he took me outside. I'd never met him before. And he took me by the shoulder and he said, Eric, I'm just going to tell you one thing and you're not going to understand it now. You need to let God bless you. I had no idea what he meant then. But I know it now. Would you let your defenses down this morning and allow God into your private pain? Allow him to heal what is broken and wounded in you.
Hey all, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.